You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressandcrest.org. Well, I want to welcome you back today to Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey. We have just finished a series on bumper sticker theology where we looked at some common statements in the religious world that sound so good and they sound so right, but then when we lay them down next to Scripture, we realize that they're just wrong. They're not in the Bible, and in fact, they are very dangerous for people to live by when they are trying to faithfully follow Jesus. You know, we've been doing this podcast now for over a year, which is hard to believe. Today is going to be episode 55, and I was thinking about something that I really kind of wanted to do as we are coming to the end of 2021, and I thought that having a study on the life of Jonah would be a great way to kind of close out the year. Now, before we get into this study of Jonah, I would encourage you, first of all, if you're just finding us on Road Talk, to go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. That way you will know when new episodes are released, and I'd encourage you to go back and listen to what we've done this last year. Secondly, if you already know about Road Talk, if you could, please leave a review. That way it will build some credibility in the podcast world because we want to get this information in this content out to the world, first of all, so we can glorify God, and secondly, so we can encourage a lot of people. Also, if you'd like to join our Facebook page, Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, uh, please send a request. I will approve that, and you can be made aware of updates concerning this podcast. Well, as we begin this study of Jonah, I think it's healthy to admit that other than the life of Jesus, Jonah may be one of the most famous biblical characters. And I don't know about you, but I love the life of Jonah. There's just something about his story. It's almost too good to believe. Now, I recognize that not everyone shares the same passion for Jonah that I have. In fact, I remember several years ago, I was preaching through the book of Jonah, and my oldest son Hayden said, Dad, why are you preaching through Jonah? Every time we go to church, we hear about Jonah. And I thought to myself, first of all, what church have you been attending? Because this is the first time I've preached through Jonah. And secondly, even if that's true, why is that a bad thing? I mean, this is a great story. Now, it probably doesn't surprise you that there are many people, even biblical scholars, who will say that the story of Jonah isn't a real-life story. It's more of an allegory 
or maybe a metaphor or a myth or a fable to illustrate the loving nature of God. But that's just not true. You know, it's in the Bible, and the Bible says about itself that everything in the Bible is true. 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17 says, It's there for a reason. It's there to teach and rebuke and to encourage and to train in righteousness. If the story of Jonah is not true, then nothing in the Bible is true. Because the Bible really is all or nothing. And in 2 Kings 14.25, Jonah is identified both as a real person and as a real prophet. And then Jesus in his ministry in Matthew 12 would speak of his resurrection as the sign of Jonah. That in the same way Jonah was buried in the fish for three days, Jesus would be buried in the tomb and then would rise with a new life. Now, it might be helpful to give some background information as we begin this series. Most scholars strongly believe that the events of Jonah took place during the reign of Jeroboam II, the king of Israel, somewhere between 781 B.C. to 753 B.C., which means the story of Jonah not only precedes Babylonian captivity, but Assyrian captivity, which would take place 30 years later, in 722 B.C., which if you keep that in mind, it greatly changes the way that we read this story. The great prophet Elisha is probably coming to the end of his prophetic career when these events take place. And one thing that we must see as we travel through the book together, the main character of the book is not Jonah. The main character of the book is God. God has the first and the last words in the narrative. And in this book, we see God's wrath for sin, but we also see his loving mercy that he wants to extend to all people. So here we go, the book of Jonah, in a small little series that I have entitled, Sent, Swallowed, and Saved. We begin with Jonah chapter 1. And the book opens with God's mission for Jonah in verses 1 through 2. It says in verse 1, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. We don't know how God spoke to Jonah, but we do know a message was delivered. And the names Jonah and Amittai hold special significance. Jonah means dove. In that culture, the dove represented Israel like the way the eagle represents America. Jonah is the everyman for Israel in this story, and he also represents how Israel failed to listen to God throughout their history as a nation. Amittai means truth. So Jonah is referred to as the son of truth. And God tells this dove, he tells this son of truth, to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Other translations have God saying, arise and go to Nineveh. If you think about it, God's greatest leaders were given those same instructions, that same word, arise. Moses and Samuel and Joshua and Paul were all told to arise and to fulfill God's 
call, God's duty for their lives. Jonah is receiving the same opportunity to be God's man, to do something great, but he doesn't do it. Now, to be fair, Nineveh would not have been the easiest mission site. First of all, it was the home of the Assyrians, some of the most brutal warriors to ever live. Nineveh was 550 miles from Samaria, the capital of Israel. It would have been about a month's journey for Jonah to arrive in Nineveh if he traveled 15 to 20 miles a day. And their city was unlike any other, one of the great cities of ancient mankind. Nineveh was home to some 600,000 people, which used to be the size of the city of Austin, Texas, until, well, everyone from California headed our direction. The circumference all the way around the city was some 80 miles. Its walls were 100 feet high, which was roughly 10 stories, and it had 1,500 towers, each tower being about 200 feet high. So it's not like God is asking Jonah to go preach to some remote village or campground. He is going to a large, evil city. Everyone would have been hesitant to receive such instructions. But after we read about God's omission, we read about Jonah's, or God's mission, we read about Jonah's omission. Verse 3 says that Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord with plans to go to Tarshish. It's pretty foolish to think you can run from God. Now, we aren't exactly sure where Tarshish was. Most archaeologists and historians believe it would have been on the western coast of Spain, some 2,500 miles from Joppa, where Jonah currently was. If that's true, Jonah was planning to go as far as he possibly could. To put things in perspective, it is a little over 2,000 miles from Dallas to Los Angeles. And we can't know for sure, but it appears like Jonah is being influenced by pagan thinking. The pagans believed that their gods were only gods over certain geographic areas, and when you went far enough, you entered into the jurisdiction of another god. Possibly, Jonah is thinking, if I can just get far enough away, some 2,500 miles, then I will escape the mighty arm of the God of Israel. But it doesn't work. You know the story. A tremendous storm comes, and we read in verse 4, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. That phrase, sent a great wind on the sea, is the same phrase that appears in 1 Samuel 18.11 when Saul threw his javelin at David. It was a violent storm with a violent purpose. And the sailors are afraid, but where's Jonah? Well, Jonah's asleep in the cabin of the ship, kind of like Jesus in Mark chapter 4 during the storm. Jonah is asleep during a storm which he caused. A storm which is his fault. And history tells us that ships only sailed from Joppa to Tarshish a few times a year because of the great distance. Jonah could have been thinking, man, I've timed this perfectly. I can get on this boat. I can disappear. No one will be able to come after me for at least six months. Isn't it interesting how we justify our actions because we're at peace with what we've done? Because we can sleep during the middle of a storm. 
You know, we covered this in our bumper sticker theology series. People say, just follow your heart. You can't follow your heart because your heart's deceptive. Jonah thinks he's done the right thing, but Jonah has done the worst thing he could have possibly done. You can't depend on what you feel to diagnose the truth of reality. And you know, even churches make terrible decisions when they base their decisions on emotion rather than on God's will. But the chapter ends with Jonah trying to find a solution for the problem that he created. And the sailors bless their hearts. They wonder what they've done wrong, if Jonah's done something wrong. So Jonah tries to clear up the confusion in verse 12 by saying, Pick me up and throw me overboard. (laughs) Then things will become calm. Jonah admits, I know this is my fault. That this great storm has come upon you. Now, a question for you here, is Jonah sacrificial or is Jonah suicidal? Is Jonah saying, I want y'all to live, I've messed things up, so let my death save you? Or is Jonah just saying, my life has gone to the pits, just put me out of my misery? It's an interesting thought. Personally, I think he's more suicidal than he is sacrificial. Jonah hasn't thought about a single person other than himself throughout this whole episode. He says in verse 10 that he worshiped the God of heaven who made the sea and the land, but did he really believe it? If he did, why would he have been in this mess to begin with? And you know, we have to commend the sailors, because even though they're pagans, they must have had good hearts. They didn't want to throw Jonah overboard, which is another reason why I think Jonah's suicidal. No one wants to ever watch someone else take their own life. The sailors row and row and row, trying to get back to land, trying to find another option, but the wind is just too strong. So finally they agree to throw Jonah overboard, like what Pilate said before he finally condemned Jesus to die. He washed his hands of the situation. But before they do, Notice what they're doing in verse 14. Before they throw Jonah overboard, they're praying. And they aren't just praying to an unknown God, they're praying to the God of Israel. How ironic it is that the pagans are doing the right thing when Jonah, the believer of God, is doing the wrong thing. The pagans are praying and Jonah is running. Well, things get calm. The sailors pray again. They offer their sacrifices. They make vows to the Lord, which means in his own twisted way, Jonah taught them something about God. Because even in our worst moments, we still influence people about our Creator. Don't ever think your circle of influence is closed because you've been given a job that you don't want to do. Now, I know that's a lot of material in a whirlwind, but one question comes to my mind every time I read this book, especially Jonah chapter 1. Why did Jonah really run away when God sent him? What was it about Nineveh that made Jonah try to travel 2,500 miles the opposite direction? Was it that 500-mile journey from Nineveh or to Nineveh from his hometown? I don't think so. Jonah is willing to travel 2,500 miles. Long trips obviously didn't faze him. Was he afraid of the task? Like Moses, not knowing what he would say or if he could do it right? 
possibly there's always that human dimension of doubt and fear? Or was it his great disdain, even his hatred for the Ninevites? I think that is by far the best explanation. The Ninevites were brutal. They were mean. They were ready to take anyone's life, especially the lives of the Jews. Who would want to help those people? In fact, asking Jonah to go to Assyria would have been like asking a Jew in the New York City of the 1930s to go to Germany to have a cup of coffee with Hitler. I mean, no one would want to do that. These two nations did not like each other. And that's exactly why Jonah says at the end of the book, which we will look at toward the end of this series, Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, he tells God, Is this not what I said when I was home? I knew you were loving. I knew you were compassionate. That is exactly why I ran for Tarshish. In other words, God, it's not that I don't love you. It's that I know how loving you are. And that angers me. Like it or not, we can sometimes have the same attitude. That it angers us that God wants to forgive some people that even though we won't admit it, we really don't think they deserve to be forgiven. And so I leave you with this question today. Have you created your own Nineveh in your life? (laughs) Are there people in this world that you don't want to see saved? People who you think have cheated the system and have gotten away with it. People who have hurt you. People who have destroyed your name, your character, your reputation. You know, as hard as it is, our desire for their repentance should still be at the forefront of our hearts. Because if it's not, We're no different than Jonah. Jonah was so busy being part of God's people that he forgot what it was like not to be part of God's people. And we can be so busy being the church that we forget that outside the doors of our buildings there's a whole world who doesn't know what it's like to be part of the church. God has sent us to go into the world, not to run from it. You know, the great prophet Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. And Jonah said, Here am I, throw me overboard. What do you say? Don't create your own Nineveh. Don't run from the challenge, but go in the strength and in the blessing and in the grace of God. I'm so glad that you've joined me today. I hope you'll be back with us for the next episode, Jonah chapter 2. As always, I encourage you to keep your eyes on heaven. I hope you have a great day, and I look forward to talking with you next time.